0: Well, good morning. It's kind of cool hearing about the water wells that uh, that have taken place with uh, we've done it with a couple different organizations. One was Living Water International, the other one was Charity Water, and just got, we didn't tell you this part, but if you looked at one of the um, the well itself, on it had a placard on it, and it actually says something donated by Florence Christian Church, and so it's kind of kind of a cool thing. So. You know, the well, the whole idea of the well and trying to bring water to these people is is to try to bring them a little bit of hope, a little bit of, um, and so that maybe that they might be receptive to the message of Christ. I mean, that's what we do. People go on missions trips all the time. I used to go to Mexico. When I was living in California, we'd take groups and we'd go build homes. And, uh, and we'd, so the hope that people would open their eyes to Jesus. And so... You know, this whole concept of that is what the concept of John is. And the beauty of John is that he doesn't hold back in writing his book. He tries to come right out and tell you that the idea, the reason he's writing the book is so that people might believe in the Son of God. That's kind of behind everything. And so we're in this little series right now that's the final statements of Jesus. And last week we talked about... I am the Good Shepherd, that Aaron shared the great message and that where Jesus said that. And today we're going to look at another one of his final statements. And it's during uh, the winter months, is during the Feast of Dedication. And that's kind of thought to take place maybe around December sometime. And it's, they're celebrating Hanukkah, which is the Feast of Dedication. And that happened because this guy named Antichius Epiphanes, basically sacrificed a, a, a sow in, on the altar in the temple of God and it made the, God's people upset. <laughs> and so they came about and they overthrew him. And when they overthrew him, the whole the Levitical law was the, the, the temple had been desecrated. And so to, to kind of take, come back the other direction, they had to light oil in um, a lamp and, and run it for a week. And basically this idea that would bring, kind of restore the presence of God. Well, The problem was they didn't have enough oil. They only had a day's worth of oil, and so they lit it. And what happened was it ended up burning for the whole week. And so the people, they saw it as an active God and restoring God's presence in the temple. And so they begin this celebration every single year. They come back to it year after year after year, and it's it's called the Feast of Celebration. And so the scene that John's trying to create in the text that we're going to look at today is that you see Jesus, and he's walking around Solomon's porch, it's an area of the temple that hadn't been destroyed by the Babylonians yet. Um, eventually, it would be destroyed. But he's walking around, and it says he's walking around the Solomon's porch. He's, he's teaching, and you find a scene with the Jewish leaders there. There's some Pharisees there, and they're gathered around him. I think what John wants us to kind of pick up on the scene is that the God of the temple is the God in the temple at this particular time when we're reading. And so if you would open your Bibles or you can look at the screen in John chapter 10, verse 22, it says this. It says, At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem and it was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple on the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And so... You know, they're not saying this like, hey, tell us if you're really the Christ and we'll believe in you and we'll be your disciples. You know, that's not what they're really trying to get. They're trying to trap him. They're trying to to get him to admit that he is essentially saying that I am the king of the Jews. And if they could get him to say that I am the king of the Jews, then he's basically, they could try to try him for treason, that he's kind of blaspheming. And their idea is they want to take him to, to Pilate and try to say, hey, this guy's saying that he's higher than King Caesar and which would get him in trouble. And so they're not really going, hey, tell us if you're really the Christ. That's not what they're trying to get at here. And so John says that he's walking in the colonnade of Solomon, which is Solomon's porch, and the Jewish leaders circle around him and try to get him to say something, and there's a bunch of tension going on here. And so they're standing there, and they're like, hey, tell us plainly, who are you? And so verse 25 says this. It says, Jesus answered them, I told you, And you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name, bear witness about me. But you do not believe me because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I gave them eternal life and they will never perish and no no one will snatch them out of my hands. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of hands the Father's hands. And here's the statement he makes. He says, I and the Father are one. So he starts this proclamation. And his first proclamation, he says to them, he goes, you are not my sheep. Let's get this straight out of the gates. You don't know me. You don't know who I am. You're not my sheep. My sheep are really different than you. They listen to my voice and they know me. You know, most people, he says, and they have, basically he says they have eternal life. Most people can't say that to people, <laughs> No one's, that I can give you eternal life. Only Jesus is able to say that. And so he makes this rather large proclamation. And then he attaches himself, he attaches himself to the Father. And he says, I and the Father are one. Now, that's a really good way to tick off the Jewish leaders. It wasn't something they really wanted to hear him say, but they kind of were trying to get him to say it. Because in their mindset, there's only one God. They're kind of monotheistic. They're looking at him going, you ain't God. You're not the God I'm serving. And so as for him as a man, he's essentially claiming to, to be God. And he's saying that to them. And so this is the response in verse 31. He says, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him and so they reach down to pick up some stones they want to try to to kill him because they say that he's blaspheming and they they're trying to come against him and so he needs to be stoned by the levitical law and so jesus brings everything back and revealed to them in verse 32 he says this he says jesus answered them i have shown you many good works from the father for which of them are you going to stone me for now Jesus shows up on this scene and he's not like Steve Martin in the leap of faith where he's just healing people, kind of these small healings. It's, he's actually things that have been going on for life. The guy that was born blind, had congenital blindness, was healed. The guy sitting on the mat for 38 years, ain't able to move, he, he heals him. And there's some, some significant things going on here that God does. And so when Jesus says, I and the Father are one, he's essentially claiming himself to be God with the Father. And so he points to these miracles and he's saying to these guys, he's saying, Aren't aren't these godlike miracles? Can can you do these miracles? And verse thirty-three, the Jews answered him, It's not it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you being a man make yourself God. And they say that to him, and he kind of pulls out this verse. It's like he quotes Psalms eighty two six and thirty four he says he says the quote is this is as Jesus answered them, It is not written in your law, I said you are gods. if he called them gods to whom the word of god to whom the Word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming? because I said, I am the Son of God. no in essence, what their verse is claiming is that is that God has put these judges over Israel. And there's a sense that they are gods and they, are, they made decisions for God. And Jesus is saying that the Bible teaches that they are little gods, kind of in this generic sense. Isn't it much more appropriate for me, who has been set apart and sit down from the Father as God's own Son and been called the Son of God? And so Jesus goes directly to the authority of Scripture, and he's looking at the authority of scriptures and he quotes it to them. But the problem with this Pharisees, as they're listening to this, they're kind of like you and we are. I am. There's some scriptures I like and that I want to apply, and there's some scriptures that I don't like on certain days and I don't want to apply them. And they're saying today, I don't want it. They're looking at this going, I don't like that one. Jesus says to them in verse 37 He says, If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though You do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. You know, so Jesus throughout John is revealing himself to the Jewish people and basically saying, I'm the Messiah. They were first offered to the Jews. But at this moment, he's trying to separate himself and he's starting to kind of get a little bit frustrated rejecting these Jewish leaders. And they're beginning to reject him. But in a sense, he's kind of given them one more opportunity to say, hey, believe in me. You've kind of heard about me. You know, that's the issue of the Gospel of John. The issue is, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? And he says, you know, if you don't believe what my words are saying to you, if you don't believe that, that they're actually true, look at my works. Look at the miracles that I've done, the works that I'm doing. Don't they all point to the Father? Don't they all point back to God? That God had to do these. He had to be present. He had to make this happen. And so he says, basically, "You you have to believe that I and the Father are one, that he is in me and I am in him. And then verse 39, he says again, they sought to arrest him but he escaped from their hands. And so throughout the gospel, it says over and over again, he says that Jesus' hour has not yet come. And so you look at this scene where there are multiple times now that we've gone through the book of John. They want to stone him. They want to capture him. They want to try to get him. And Jesus knows his time's not yet. And so he kind of slips away. You have this mob-like people trying to surround him and trying to get at him and want to kill him. And he slips away. And so John ends this snapshot here in verse 40. He says this. He said, He went again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first. And there he remained. And many came to him and they said, John did no sign. But everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him that day. But John wants us to pick up on the contrast that, that's going on here. You know, the crisis in Jerusalem, the things that's happening in Jerusalem and the temple is that these Jewish leaders are coming against him because he's, he's healing on the Sabbath day and there's things going on that they don't like. But he goes across the Jordan, it says, back to the hillbilly country where people, there's no miracles happening. Nothing happened, just John speaking about Jesus. And it says, because of John's testimony, because of what John has said about Jesus, they believe. And John's saying, hey, this dude is God. John wants us to pick up on that. And he says, you know, basically the sheep know me and they want to follow me and they listen to me. And so the contrast going on here is you have belief and unbelief. And so many people want miracles and they want signs and the signs are happening and they're still not believing. But at the end of the day, Jesus is saying, I am the father of one. Do you believe that? And that's an incredibly bold statement that he's making. And he's saying it's a question basically for us today is what's the difference? What difference in your life does it make that Jesus says that he and God, him and the Father are one? That's basically saying that he's God. You know, we can look into the text and we can look about what it says and we can look at his background, but at the end of the day, what difference does it make in your life and what difference does it make in mine? You know, I think many of us, uh, you know, there's these theological statements that, that Jesus makes. And he says, yeah, you know, God, the Father's great and God's great. I believe in the Father. I believe in the Son. I believe in the spirituality thing. I believe in that. But the question for us is what spiritual implication does it have for you? What difference does it make? And the reality is that Jesus' oneness with the Father is crucial. It's crucial to your faith. And it's crucial to my faith. And so I'm going to give you just a few things here that I think that we need to look at. Just pulling out of the text this morning, and the first one is this, is Jesus is one in essence with the Father. You know, when he says, I and the Father are one, and the Father's in me, and I am in the Father, he's making a claim, this essence, that he's deity. And that creates somewhat of a problem. It's It's a very important statement that he's claiming here. Because he's saying that Jesus is God. And with that, he has power and authority. You now, for most of us, for most of us, we have a very small Jesus. We like the Jesus that's nice. We like the Jesus that's kind, that doesn't, he's not mean to us. We like that Jesus, but he's a very small Jesus. The Jesus is, and the scripture has power and has authority over all. And so when he makes this claim to be God, it ticks off the Jewish leaders because the claim basically essentially says he has power and authority, but at the end of the day, the Pharisees were the ones that had authority in that time. They were the ones that interpreted the scripture. They are the ones that told people what the scriptures had to say. And here comes Jesus, and they don't like what he's saying. But I think 2,000 years later today, is very similar with us, isn't it? That the scripture makes a lot of claims and it says that he has power and says that he has authority, but a lot of times we don't like what he has to say. You now, who has the right to be God in your life? Who has that right? Who has the power and who has the authority? I remember years ago when this postmodernism was coming out. And people, the, the world started changing, and they were, to be basically it's relativism, and everybody can believe what they want, everybody has their own truth, and I remember guys going around talking about, man, this is going to kill the church, they're killing absolute truth. And, and there was these guys talking and trying to get the church to, to think, how are we going to do this differently? But I tell you, I'm not, I'm not really worried about absolute truth, because Christ, if you're a Christian, you believe that the Bible's true, you believe it's absolute truth. And so really, you know, if you don't really do what the Bible says, it's not really your absolute truth. If you're not loving people the way God tells you to love people, you're not worshiping the way he tells you to worship them, you're not loving your neighbor. Who cares if it's absolute truth? The real question is, does it have authority? Does it have authority? You know, who has the right to have a say in your life? Who gets to be God? Because in a postmodern context, we hate authority. You know, we hate parental authority. I could tell you that. I have teenagers. I know. I know we hate government authority. All you have to do is look at Facebook. Someone hates something. They don't like the government, one way or the other. We don't like police authority. We just don't like authority in any way. And really, we don't like God meddling in our business either. It gets, and so we, we like the part where he says, you know what? You're forgiven. <laughs> and you have grace and everything's good. That's the, that's the neat package part we like that. That's a good part. But the issue, what happens is it becomes about authority. When he, Who has that right to speak into your, your life? You say we believe and not obey. It's not absolute truth. And Jesus claimed to be one with the Father. He's saying, I am God, and I have that kind of power, and I have that kind of authority. But he, listen to what he says, though, in verse 27. He says, my sheep... Hear my voice and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and the one who is able and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. You know, Jesus' oneness with the Father gives him power and authority to save us, to give us eternal life. And I gotta tell you that's pretty significant power. And he says, my sheep know me, they know my voice, they follow me, and I give them eternal life. But you know, that's some pretty serious implications. He's basically saying that I could could save you. Your gift of eternal life is not based on what you've done, that you earn it some way, that somehow you develop it, or you grunt hard enough and you can have eternal life. It's based on what he's done. It's based on what Christ's done. And so the the effects of this is their power and authority secures your salvation. He says, no one can snatch you out of my hands. No one can snatch you out of my Father's hands. And that kind of statement, hopefully, if you're sitting here this morning and you believe it, hopefully it gives you hope. Hopefully it gives you some hope that means that your ability to be in a relationship with Christ is based on Christ. It's based on the Father. That your security is based on their power in your life, and nothing can take you away from that. You know, some of us might be sitting here, you know, you think about this hope, and he's like, you know, I have a lot of reasons to think that I should be rejected. There's a lot of things that I've done in my life that I haven't done right. But at the end of the day, it's, if he has you, he has you. It doesn't matter what you've done. There's nothing you could do to make him love you less. So the second thing I wanted to share with you is the oneness with the Father gives him authority. As God to do miracles. If you look at verse 25 real quick, it says, Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. And so you get this picture of unity that I'm doing miracles because of the Father. And you go down to verse 32, it says, Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? You know, in other words, I've done all these miracles, I've done them in my Father's name and on Father's behalf. I mean, the authority comes from the Father. You know, He gives us power and authority to do the good works that I've done over congenital blindness, over the guy that was on a mat forever. You just can't fix yourself from congenital blindness. You can't just get up, sit on a mat, and go, hey, the guy got up, he was touched, and he jumped up, and he's like, hey, I should have did that 38 years ago. He did, he, that's, that's not what happened there. You know, there's nothing in your life there's nothing in your life that's bigger than Christ. Nothing. It doesn't mean that he's going to heal everybody. But it does mean that it's, if you give him a, sp- a spot inside you in your life, that you could find joy and find contentment and able to come over some pretty hard stuff. There's nothing in your life that's bigger than Jesus. And the question I have is, do you believe that? Because there's a lot of things that we give space to. There's a lot of things that take up some big spaces in our life. It could be addictions. It could be temptations. It could be some, maybe you've had some screw-ups in your life. And you go, you know, those things are a little bit bigger in my life. And the problem with that is they're not. If Jesus is God, he has to be the biggest thing. that he's, He's God. He's bigger than your problems. He's bigger than anything going on in your life. And if you believe that, it gives you incredible hope. You know, but some of you have been deceived into thinking that something in your life is bigger, whatever it is. Been deceived that maybe this problem that I have or this situation I'm going through has more authority. And the thing of it is, it doesn't. Someone's lying to you. You know, the second aspect of his ability to do miracles or to heal, I mean, basically to heal, is the fact that all the miracles point to God. You know the blind men, the guy on a mat. These guys got healed. They didn't do it themselves. They jump, and I think what happens a lot of times with us is that when God works in our lives, we don't give Him credit for it. You know, we want to go. Well, I did that. It was something that I, you did because at some place it's kind of a humbling place to be. It kind of makes you feel weak. Maybe that I couldn't get over it myself those things in your life where it's going to take Jesus to do a miracle to heal or change or transform you, and we want to take credit for it. You know, you might sit back and go, well, I did that. Maybe you're a jerk to your wife, or maybe you're mean to your children, and one day you wake up and you're no longer mean. And You're like, hey, I did that. You know, it's much easier to say that, but it, it's a lot what you need to say. You know, I've been a complete jerk my whole life. And it was because what God did in my life Allowed me to have a little bit of emotions. <laughs> allowed me to love a little bit deeper. Allowed me to see a little bit more clearly that my kids are treated differently. My wife's treated differently because I give Christ a bigger spot. And that's a humbling place to be. But you know, when you can figure out and you can admit your weaknesses and you can admit your struggles, it communicates a whole new message to the world. When in your struggles and your weaknesses, you overcome them and you're, you give God the credit who gets, should have it, all of a sudden it speaks a different message. The question is, will you let him be God in your life? Will you let him be the one that has the power and authority? The last part of this is oneness with the Father the, from the text that we read today. Oneness with the Father brings their power and authority to the word of God, and he uses this little verse, Psalms 82 6, and he pulls out the verse and uses it as authoritative in his defense because he's being accused of blasphemy. And what they did is they wanted to separate the Bible from his authority, they wanted to separate this piece and didn't want to deal with it. You know, a lot of us, we do that with the Bible sometimes. I want the parts that I want, I don't want the parts that I don't want. But it's a dangerous place to separate Christ and the Father from the authority of Scripture. And it's like, I like Jesus, I like the Father, I like spirituality, but, you know, I don't like the Bible. And for Christ, they were inseparable. Not that the Bible is God, but it's God's Word, and it's authoritative. And the question for us is, do we let it be authoritative in our lives? to shape us and to change us and to give us hope and to give us faith and to restore us. When you take the authority out of the scripture, it becomes a pretty mushy faith. It really doesn't have any power to change people. I was driving back, I was in Roseburg yesterday. My family's still in Roseburg at a baseball tournament. And I was thinking of this idea of power and authority and I'm driving back and I'm like, you know, i give you power and authority, don't I? I asked that question to God, which I probably shouldn't have because he's been kind of jacking me up ever since. And so you think about, because if you ask that question, I ask you that question, do you give God power and authority in your life? And you're like, yeah, I give God power and authority in my life. But then you start thinking about things. Because sometimes I give it to him, but then I snatch it back real quick because I don't want him to tell me what to do in this little area right now. And he's, since last night, I went home, went to bed, <laughs> drove here this morning. He keeps just pointing things out to me. You don't give me power in that. You don't give me authority over that. You don't give me power over that. And you know, the thing of it is, is what the whole thing about Jesus is, and with his word, is he wants to shape us. He wants us to make us look a little bit more like him. And the word of God has authority, and when you unpack it, and the God, word of God says, it's really spiritual reality this is what God says and it's like God speaking to you and when you put yourself under his authority it really it it changes you but what happens with most of us most of the time is we put ourselves over it and we don't really want to deal with it and so we we look the other way and the question is do you believe the word of God has power and authority over your life you obey it you love people do you love people that don't know Jesus? Do you love people that make you mad? <laughs> do you forgive people that have come against you? And do you let them have the authority to shape your life? And so, you know, the second little aspect of this is that the, there's Bible in community because what happens is they're in this context and they're talking about God and he brings out the Bible, Jesus does. And he says, hey, doesn't the, if you don't believe my words, doesn't the word say this? Am I doing anything wrong here? And I can tell you, when you get into a place and you live your life and you live under the, let this speak to you, in your marriages, in your relationships, in friendships, it begins to shape and change you. We don't always like what people what it says, but it gives you peace. It gives you a little bit more understanding. And I can tell you for myself, some of the most biggest growth times I've had in my life is when people sat down next to me and said, you know, I don't know if you look like this, and this little part And it was all done in love. I hated it in the moment. I couldn't stand it. But what has it done, it, made, it shaped me and helped me to grow and helped me to realize that you know what, I need to open my ears because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, what this whole thing is about is that I might look and smell and taste a little bit more like Jesus. That when you come into my space, that I might reveal him a little bit more. And his goal for us as a community of believers is the same thing. That we look like him, that we're attractive, that we love people. And when you rest under this, let this rest, of, and you go and do what it says, it changes the aspect. And the whole purpose is it? Is so that people might believe. The whole purpose of the Bible, the whole purpose of us living this thing out is so that, not just for us, it's not just so that we will have eternal life, it's so that people will see the truth. And so the question for us this morning is do you believe? And when Jesus comes and he says, this is my word, and he says who he is, he, and he says, but then he says, I am the Father, are one." he's saying I'm God. And so either he's a lunatic, <laughs> a liar, or you have to kind of believe it. And if he has authority, it changes the paradigm. And so what difference does the oneness and the Father make? And I would tell you it makes every difference. It makes a diff- the power and authority makes a difference over eternal life. It makes the difference over security that you know it says that the father can't snatch no one can snatch you out of my father's hands that's kind of a cool thing once he has you even when you're wandering around it's kind of nice to know okay i'm drifting a little bit but he's got me no he's, he's the biggest thing in your life there's nothing bigger and does he have the power and authority to tell you what to do if you're sitting here this morning, you're like, that ticks me off. I don't like hearing that. I don't, I don't want to hear that. And maybe there's a competing God. Maybe there's something bigger in your life. But this invitation, starting off in chapter 10 last week, where he says, talking about being a sheep, this invitation to be a sheep basically says this. He says, the invitation is to listen to his voice. The invitation is to know him relationally. And the invitation is to follow him. Do you believe that he is God? And do you believe that he has power and authority? And do you place yourself under that? We're going to have a time of communion right now. And the band's going to come and sing a song, and a couple songs actually. And we're going to pass out the juice and the bread. You know, this time of communion, what, we, what it is, it's all about Jesus surrendering to the power and authority of God. You know, do you think he wanted to go to the cross? He didn't really want to go to the cross, but he submitted to his father and submitting to his power and authority, went to the cross and because of that, we have life. And so as you hold on to the juice today and hold on to the bread today, remember Jesus and what he did at the cross, but also for yourself, where in your life do you need to give him a little bit more power? A little bit more authority. I'm gonna pray for us and they're gonna pass the juice and bread out. And if you'd hold on to it and and we're gonna sing a couple of songs after I get done praying and just hold on and when you feel like taking it, take it. Can you pray with me. Father, thank you for your Bible. And sometimes it's hard to hear, and sometimes remembering that you are God doesn't mean that we're just saved. Doesn't mean just that. We have eternal life, but it means that you, in our life today that you have power and you have authority. And some of that we hate to hear. Sometimes we don't like to place ourselves underneath you, but at the same time, you give us some incredible promises that, that no one can snatch us away from you once you have us. And so for today, I ask that you be with people that are here that maybe feel snatched, that people that feel like they are not so connected that they would be reminded that, that you love them and that this time of communion is a reminder that you went to the cross, it's a reminder of how much you love us, a reminder of what you did for us. And for us today, that just that we would give you a little bit more space in our lives to give you a little bit more authority because when that happens, it changes the paradigm, it changes our perspective. And instead of feeling like we're weak and it actually gives us a little bit more freedom, it gives us a little bit more peace. And so I pray that for that today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.